Are you ready to change the trajectory of your business and see massive improvements? Each week, we'll share strategies and practices to generate sustained results and long-lasting success in your organization. Welcome to the Innovation Junkies Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Innovation Junkies Podcast. I'm Jeff Standridge. Hey, this is Jeff Amaron. I'm glad to be back. Yes, sir. What do you know? Everything good? Yeah, I, I know one thing is for sure. Sales is the hardest part of any business and it's the hardest part to get right. And I, and I know you know a ton about it. So why don't we talk about skilled sales force and how that fits into uh, every successful company? You got it. You know, uh, I used to have a, a leader who said nothing happens until you sell something. And uh, and that's exactly right. And getting the, the whole organization to to understand that's vitally important. But today we're going to be focused on the seven critical practices of high performing sales teams. Seven critical practices of high performing sales teams. Shall we jump in? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, so first and foremost, yeah, let's do that. Let's talk about it. You want to kick it off or you want me to? Yeah, well, we, we can talk a little bit. I'll give some perspectives on that. I think prospecting is is a grind, right? It's Prospecting is something that no one really enjoys doing. It's the uh, dialing for dollars. It's uh, qualifying leads. It's sending out contact emails. It, it, I mean, it's just that process that is, there's no way to really simplify it, even with digital means. But you have to have people that are willing to grind through that process of doing the outreach of, of identifying quality leads and of actually qualifying those leads through a, you know, methodical process. So I, I know you've had a ton of experience. So what's, what's your experience tell you? Couldn't agree with you more there. And I, and I often tell, not just often, actually always tell every person that I coach from a sales perspective is that there's only one thing that differentiates top salespeople from bottom salespeople, or, or I, I guess I should say the major thing that differentiates top salespeople from, from average uh, or even, um, uh, well, if you're a bottom salesperson, you're probably not going to make it very long. So let's say top and average. Uh, and it, and every single salesperson who's ever sold anything struggles with call reluctance. They struggle with reasons why they can't prospect, reasons why they can't go out and call on five more customers. I got to get these invoices out. I got to get this uh, this proposal done. I've got to do I've got to do more market research. The only thing that differentiates top salespeople from average salespeople, they both experience the same amount of call reluctance, but the top salespeople actually block time on their calendar and they treat prospecting almost as a religion, almost like weekly religious services. They do the prospecting even though they don't feel like it. So it is an absolutely vital necessary part of the overall sales process. The prospecting that you do or don't do today will come home to roost in 30 to 90 days from today. And so if you're if you're prospecting hard, then you'll begin to see the the fruit in 30 to 90 days. If you're not prospecting hard today, you'll begin to see the lack of fruit in 30 to 90 days, feast or famine. So prospecting is a vital vital component of it. And you have to put it on your calendar and make it a religious practice. You know, I had a, I had a, I had a mentor that was at Harris Corporation in satellite communications uh, back in the, for many years, but it was back in the 1980s and he happened to be from the South. His name was Bill Tankersley. And he used to say, folks, selling and prospecting is like shaving. 
If you don't do a little bit every day, eventually you'll be a bum. Now, I don't know what that says about us, but, uh, but I think yeah. it's good advice. I mean, it gets to that point that yeah. you said that you've got to do a little bit every day. That's right. That's right. The second practice of high performing sales teams or, or sales uh, individuals is uh, accurately identifying client needs. So I like to tell salespeople, uh, don't say anything about your product, your service or your solution until your client has demonstrated some uh, um, uh, interest in the benefits you can provide. And the only way for them to do that is for you to understand what their needs are uh, and to, to really uh talk with them, ask them questions. And, and I like to treat it as a, as an exploratory process, almost like a, a, a physician of selling, right? You don't go into the doctor and you tell them what you want and they give it to you. You go in there and they ask you questions. They ask you about your height. They ask you about your weight. They ask you about your blood pressure or they, or they diagnose those things. Uh, they ask you about your symptoms. So, uh, when you're engaged with a potential client or a prospect, Really understanding what their needs are before you start trying to sell them anything is a vital, vital part of the process. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think it was Covey that said, and he, he wasn't saying this specifically about selling, but it applies. Uh, seek to understand before seeking to, to be understood with the idea being you're really there first to, to learn, not, not to pitch but to learn to figure out what those pain points are and what those problems are that they're really interested in having resolved. Couldn't agree with that more. One of the techniques that we teach there is that uh, the one asking the questions is the one controlling the conversation. Uh, in other words, don't go in with a PowerPoint and expecting to just stand up and, and orate for, for 45 minutes because you're not going to get very far. The person asking the questions is the one controlling the conversation. So when you can get a client to actually begin talking about their business and begin to actually describe to you the business problems that they're having because you've crafted open-ended questions that you've asked them in advance, the more you ask questions, the more they begin to trust you. The more they begin to trust you, the more they open up to you. The more you then ask questions, the more they trust, the more they open up. And it's like this flower that blossoms and it gives you precisely what you need to then do the next step, which is solution mapping. And the third step is to actually craft a solution that's mapped back specifically to those issues in priority order that that client told you that he or she was experiencing those business problems that we had talked about previously. Every client has them. There is a reason why they're looking to leverage your products, services, or solutions. Uh, you got to find out what they are and then figure out how to talk about your solution in a way that maps back to those issues, concerns, or business problems. Yeah, and it's really nice. If, if you do a good job at this, you can move out of the realm of nice to have and into the realm of must have because the, you've allowed the customer to tell you what their priorities are and what they're really interested in. That's right. The fourth thing is compelling presentations and proposals. So learning how to talk in front of a client, learning how to read verbal cues. You know, I, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've had a situation where I had a, a 15 slide slide deck and the executive decision maker came in uh, five minutes late, walked in and he said, I have seven minutes. And Everything in me wanted to start at slide one and go all the way through slide 15 because I'd worked hard on my slide deck, uh, but that would not be very client centric. And so what I had to learn to do was to step back and say, OK, well, I wasn't planning on that, but I'll tell you what, let me reswizzle here for a minute. Go to slide 13 and then lead with your ace 
answer questions as they come up and then move to the move to the close. And so learning how to read that room, how to deliver a compelling presentation, but also how to actually uh, adapt and, and uh, readjust on the fly is absolutely critical. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've experienced that as well at times when you're all prepared and they say, well, the, the executive or the, the person that has the buying authority will come and say, well, these are the three things that I want to know about. And sometimes you don't use the deck at all. It's a conversation. A, a lot of times the choreography of the of a presentation is one thing. The Q&A is where that game is won or lost. So your ability to respond to specific questions they have and overcome objections is where you win oftentimes and where you differentiate yourself from anybody else that's just standing up there giving a presentation. That's that's absolutely right. And you just made a great segue into the uh, the fifth item, which is overcoming objections. Here's a mind shift that I want to challenge everybody listening to the podcast to make is that if a client is not interested or a prospect is not interested in what you're selling, they generally will not raise objections. Objections are an actual buying signal. I had to have this conversation with my wife not long ago when we had someone who came in and they were selling something door to door and she brought them in and they were going through their thing and and I just wanted to get them out of there. So I wasn't going to ask any questions because objections are buying signals. I didn't want to give any buying signals. And my wife kept asking questions and kept asking questions and kept, kept asking questions. And, and I had to educate her on that fact afterwards that, look, you're just, you're leading them down a path of false hope. And that's what, uh, uh, if, if we knew we weren't going to buy, but in real instances, uh, with a client, a real client situation, questions and objections are actually buying signals. What they're basically saying to you is help me overcome this concern or help me answer this question. And if you can do that, you've removed one more obstacle on the way to closing the sale. Exactly. Exactly. And, and by the way, with that door-to-door salesman issue, a, a mean dog will fix that for you for future reference. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. Uh, the next thing is closing a sale, closing a sale. And, and so understanding as a salesperson, when the right time to transition the conversation from objections to closing the sale. And, and basically it's, well, Mr. or Ms. Client, uh, We've, we've talked through all the issues that you have. We've laid out our solutions specifically to those issues. We've answered a number of questions that you have about that. Do you have any other questions? Is there anything else that we've left unsaid? And when the client has all of their questions answered, then it becomes very, very natural to actually move over and say, well, then I believe the next steps in the process are. And so think about what those next steps in the process are and, and be prepared to say that. the next steps in the process are then if you will sign right here. Uh, uh, our statement of work says we can begin in 12 days. Whatever your your next steps in the closing process of your sales process are uh, is vitally important to just transition to that. Once you've done all of those other things, that's 90% of the selling process. 10% of it is actually transitioning to that close. Yeah, it's so important. And and not being afraid to ask for the close and also not overselling. Sometimes you've got to ha- be, understand what those cues are that you're getting and don't keep adding more detail or re- more reinforcement. When you've already got them, you've got to have a sense of we've got them. They're ready to go to the next steps. I've seen a lot of deals blown up by someone continuing to talk past the point where they should have known they're already on board. If you add more detail, you might uh, generate new objections or raise other questions that aren't relevant. Man, I'm so glad you brought that up. When the client says yes, stop selling or you will sell exactly. yourself out of a deal. 
absolutely. <laughs> cannot, cannot agree Same with that same. more. Um, you know, and, and don't be afraid to use awkward silence. Uh, so right. Mr. Miss client, uh, we've answered a number of your questions. Do you have any other issues? Okay. You don't, that's great. Well, the next step in the selling process or the next step in the process then is for us to uh, move forward with the, uh, the, the statement of work. So if you want to just sign right here and shut up and let the silence work, it's magic. So once the client says yes, stop selling. And that brings us to the last thing, which is generating repeat sales and referrals. You know, it, um, we need to condition our clients from the day they start doing business with us that we're going to be coming back to them for referrals. Uh, and and when, you, when you get referred into a new client, you actually leapfrog the trust continuum up to a point where it's almost like you already had a relationship with that client because you're working on the coattails or riding on the coattails, if you will, of someone with whom they do have a relationship. So build into your selling process a mechanism to generate referrals and to and begin conditioning your clients that you're going to be asking for them along the way. Any ideas you, or thoughts you have on referrals? Yeah, yeah I mean, it, I mean, it's incredibly important because it, in two ways. One is referrals to other customers is important. You clearly have to deliver in order for them to feel good about giving you the referrals, but the the expectation is that you will. And then the second thing is we've gone through this process of describing how involved and expensive and difficult it is to get that first sale done. Once you have that customer on board, to use the you know terms of art of the day, to improve the lifetime value, you want to keep them. So you got to also constantly think about well, now that we've landed this client, how are we going to expand? What else can we do for them that is going to solve a problem or be a value to them? Now you have to have some sense of timing for that. But once you get in there and you've got a good rapport established, you're delivering on your initial expectations, looking for what else you can do is an important way to do it because it's a whole lot easier to mine that existing account than to get new customers. That's right. That's right. Generating repeat sales through through quality delivery and standing behind what you've sold and also generating a process to drive referrals into you from those clients. So the seven uh, practices of high-performing salespeople, prospecting, accurately identifying client needs, mapping your solution back to those client needs, delivering compelling presentations and proposals, overcoming their objections, closing the sale, and having a process to generate repeat sales and referrals. Good stuff. Every business rises and falls with their ability to sell. No doubt about it. That's right. This has been another episode of the Innovation Junkies podcast. Thank you for joining. See you next time. If you like the content of today's episode, then you should really take advantage of our strategic growth diagnostic. Our Growth DX helps you benchmark your company and leadership with a set of best practices across six critical pillars of a successful growth plan. Visit innovationjunkie.com backslash growth DX. As always, we'd appreciate it if you'd leave a rating and a review with your feedback. And hit that subscribe button so you can join us every week. See you next time.